Amen. Would you open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our study through this epistle of joy. We're in chapter 3 this morning. As you turn there, um, I hope you, uh, many of you, we, we had about, about 1,600 people on the lawn Wednesday night. It was uh, an amazing night. And um, if you were here and your heart was stirred towards Potter's Field Ministry, I want to make you aware of a, a really special opportunity that we have. So we have a, a missions team that's heading down to Guatemala this summer. And it was primarily a high school missions trip due to the scheduling of, of Potter's Field and when we could get a week. It's pretty late in the summer and, and um, there's many kids that are, high school kids aren't going to be able to go because of their schools are actually starting back up pretty much that week right after that. So it's been a difficult. What that's done though, God's sovereign, it allows for eight people still to join this team. It's a small team of about 20 um, and there's eight openings um, to join. So it's now going to be a mixed team of adults and high school students. And, you know, we just heard about our outreach to Kenya with the book drive. This is another global area where we're focused. Um, I've been to Guatemala five times with Potter's Field. This is a place you have to see. You have to experience this ministry. I think it'll stir your heart and uh, involve you hands-on with what's going on. So if you'd like that opportunity, you could go to the information center after this, give them your name. Lisa Meredith is the one who's running this trip, uh, but if you give the information center your name and email, Lisa will contact you and talk to you more. You could do this trip. It's a week-long trip. You could do it for less than $1,500, which makes uh, ministry to Latin America very attractive. It's not like you have to go, you know, to go around the world to different places. This is very doable, certainly in God's economy. So if you'd like that opportunity, please see Lisa. Paul here in a Roman prison, continuing on, he uses this famous line, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. You got to watch out when a preacher says this, finally, my brethren. That means he's just getting started. And Paul here, it really, he's not, it's not a transition, it's not a cheap preacher's joke, you know, it's really what he's saying is, listen, let's shift gears and let's really talk about what's important. Let me talk about what's going to rob you of the joy. This is the epistle of a joy. Paul's going to say, let me warn you and let me explain what can rob your joy. He says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious. In other words, he's reviewing again and again. These are letters that have gone out to the church. He goes, it's not tedious to me, but it's safe for you. He says, listen, beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, for three years of my life, the last three years before I came into vocational ministry, this is back in uh, 1999 or so, I used to work for public service electric and gas over in New Jersey. And for the last three years of my career there, I supervised uh, a group of men and women that every month was responsible for reading 600,000 electric and gas meters. This is back before they had the technology that they do today. These guys literally had to go in to basements and backyards and attics and wherever the meter was and read 600,000 meters uh, a, a month, about 20,000 a day. And we were doing this in Camden and Burlington counties, including all of the city of Camden, including some very difficult neighborhoods in Camden where there were drug gangs deeply entrenched and basically controlling the neighborhoods. And these drug gangs had, had really interesting territorial uh, 
um, security. They used to use dogs to control the houses where they would run their stashes and, and basically crack houses and everything else. They would use dogs to secure these properties when they weren't around. And there was actually a, in Camden, there was actually a veterinarian, like a, a, a crooked veterinarian, that these drug lords would pay um, black money to in order to have them perform surgeries on typically Rottweilers and pit bulls to remove their vocal cords, if you can imagine, so that the dogs couldn't bark. They were basically silent attack dogs. So you had no idea what you were walking into, and they would let these dogs just roam in their properties. Awful. So I would begin every morning... (laughs) As I would send, sometimes in the summer when we had temporary workers, I'd be sending 100 people out into the field. I'd say, listen, guys, gals, beware of the dogs. Beware of the dogs. These are mutilators of the flesh, and they were. It was our number one safety issue was dog bites, and especially in these neighborhoods where these drug lords were operating. Beware of the dogs. I can appreciate Paul's emotion here. Now, his emotion, the dogs that he's talking about, he's talking about a spiritual dog. And the language that he's using is very in your face. It's very, he's worked up. This is is a word that you typically would not use in mixed company. It's a word that a Jew would oftentimes use to describe a Gentile. It was a slanderous word. Paul here is using it against fellow Jews. He's really upset about their behavior. And what he's upset about, and it upsets any pastor. It upsets any shepherd. It should upset any Christian who's serious about discipleship. What he's upset about is somebody who is trying to burden another person with ungodly restrictions that will rob them of their liberty and their joy that Christ went to the cross to give. See, in order to be a Jew, obviously, the covenant with Abraham was that the sign of the covenant would be the circumcision of the male. And Paul here says, listen, beware of the mutilation. In other words, a circumcision literally gone or figuratively gone bad. Paul says, we're the circumcision. You want to know the true circumcision? Here it is. Verse 3. We worship God in the Spirit. We rejoice in Jesus Christ. And we have no confidence in the flesh. But Paul's angry at at these Judaizers. He would refer to them in other works. These people that would heap undue restrictions on people, burdens on people. Basically what they were doing, if you were a Gentile and you came to know Christ through the the, the fulfillment of the gospel, the spirit of God revealing it to you, your confession of faith, repentance of sin, and you are saved, you're born again. And the Judaizers would come to you and say, no, you can't be truly born again until you are physically circumcised. You need to enter in. In other words, you need to step out of that freedom that God just gave you, set you free from all your sins. Now you need to step into this law and put on all this bondage of human and man's restriction, including this physical circumcision, until, so that you can experience true salvation. That's where it's going to come from. It's going to come from the works of the flesh. 
Now, it may not be circumcision that people are requiring today, but this for 2,000 years has not changed. There, there is a, a, a spirit that works within the church in order to rob new believers, especially, of the freedom that they experience in Christ and to put on them burdens that will rob them of their joy and fullness in Christ. And it drives me insane when I see it. You can shape it up into any, you can call it legalism. Sometimes it's Gnosticism. Sometimes it's like special knowledge or, or, or special revelation or ways that, you know, if, if you really, if you truly are walking with Christ and if you truly want to fulfill his, you know, the experience of Christ and really grow in him, then this is the way you must worship. This is, this is what the worship will look like. This is what will be manifest in the worship. And it may be, it, it could be all kinds of just ludicrous restrictions that are placed on somebody that, and just rob them of the freedom that Christ has given them to be born again. When I first, uh, I was a relatively new Christian and I had just gotten out of the service and I took a job at a company and I'm walking in there and this is my first fresh start as a Christian. I mean, I really want to go into a world of darkness and I want to let my light shine, and I'm terrified about doing it. And I walk into this, this lunchroom, you know, and I'm kind of feeling my way around there, and I'm, you know, I, I would read my Bible at, at, at lunch, and I would pray over my meal, and right away, a, a guy reaches out to me. And I was like so excited that I, you know, because all, all I wanted was the fellowship of one brother <laughs> in this dark land that I was now in. And I, and I thought I found it. And I bef- you know, befriended this guy. We're about the same age. Um, he was peculiar. But we're a peculiar people, right? We're meant to be peculiar. Hopefully you're all peculiar in your workplaces. Hopefully there's something about you that people go, she's a little peculiar. I hope it's the light of, of God that's shining through you in the darkness. I hope it's love, unconditional, that comes out of you. Concern, compassion, truth. So this guy was a little peculiar, but the more I got to know him, the more I realized that that when I spent time with him, I would walk away, and instead of being encouraged, I was discouraged. Instead of being feeling, you know, instead of being edified, I felt like I was condemned. Soon I found out that I didn't read the right translation of the Bible. There was one translation you had to read. He would, he would talk to me about the way I was dressed. Started talking to me about sin in my life, and he was set free completely from sin. I had a problem with that. Both the sinning part and being set free, I, I, I still struggled with it. Newsflash, still do. <laughs> but he was delivered from it. And, 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 and if I was truly saved, I would understand that I could enter into that with him had problems that I didn't speak a certain spiritual language that he spoke that hadn't been given to me. Certainly if I was saved, I would have been given that gift. You get the idea? Mutilator of the flesh. Putting restrictions on me way beyond what was required. And listen, here's the key. I came away from meetings with him where I was condemned. 
And the Holy Spirit does not condemn. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ went to the cross to set condemned men free. The Holy Spirit convicts. And that can be a beautiful thing. You know what? If you, if you see sin in my life, you know, me being up against you and you're living in a holier way than I am, and I am realizing, you know what? I'm, I'm flirting around with things and this person's not, and that convicts me and I repent from things that I'm messing around with. And there's a freedom in that. But there is therefore no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells us. Paul says, beware of them. We're the true circumcision. He says here, if anyone else, the end of verse 4 there, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Listen, if you want to look at the flesh, if you want to to put confidence in the flesh, let's talk about my life. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, according to the law. I'm from the stock of Israel. I'm not a Gentile. I was born in Israel. Oh, by the way, not only born in Israel, as a a family of of Israel, but born of the tribe of Benjamin, he says. A Benjamite was the the tribe that stayed loyal to Judah. They're the tribe. They never left Jerusalem area. They're the tribe that that Saul came from, the first king of Israel. If you want to be, he goes, I'm an Israelite, and not only an Israelite, but I'm of the best stock. A Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee, the ultimate achievement for a man, a Jewish man, concerning zeal. If that's not enough, if you want to talk about energy and passion and zeal towards the law, guess what? I persecuted the church. I was there when they stoned Stephen. I was there when they drugged men out of their families' homes and incarcerated them. I was zealous persecuting the church. Go ahead. If you want to talk about righteousness, Paul says, look at me. According to the law, I've done it all. I'm blameless. But what things are gained to me, these things I've counted as a loss for Christ. Paul says, as an accountant, he says, if you take an accounting ledger out and you start summing it all up, everything that he just described there in one column, total it up, and he just zeroes it out, a loss for the sake of Christ. Yet indeed, verse 8, I also count all things a loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just counted, but continuing to reckon. Paul's continuing to account for these things in his life. He says, if you, you add them all up, what they equal is nothing but a pile. In the New King James, it says rubbish. Some of your translations may say manure. It's just a pile of worthless rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. On one side, I have all those accomplishments. It adds up to rubbish. What I want is that I want to gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's where the worth comes from. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, underline this. Here's what he's striving for. This is the answer to life's question. That I may know him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. 
being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained, or that I have already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press on, striving ahead. Now he's changing from the, the metaphor of an accountant to one of an athlete, pressing on, you know, straining for the tape, not resting on what he's achieved, but reaching towards the goal. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are left, which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I remember the day distinctly. It was an August day. I was about 10 years old. I was, I was on Leisure Lane, the street that I grew up on in Lakeside, Pennsylvania. Isn't that great? Leisure Lane, Lakeside, Pens- uh, Lakeside neighborhood in Levittown, Pennsylvania. And it was a hot August day. Like I said, I was somewhere around 10 years old. And I had this incredible urge to fly a kite that day. There was only one problem. There was no wind. (laughs) But being a creative 10-year-old, I had a great idea. I took my kite out and I laid it in the street and I rolled out about 10 yards of string or so and I tied it to the the back seat on the banana seat of my Schwinn Stingray bicycle. And I had this bright idea that under these big towering elms that fold this, this across the street there on Lakeside Drive or, or Leisure Lane, that if I would pedal fast enough, I could get that bike up or that, that uh, that'd be cool, that'd be like E.T., wouldn't it? <laughs> that I could get that, that kite up in the air. And I started pedaling and sure enough, it was working. The faster I pedal, the more the kite would fly up. And it was working so well that I got so fixated on that flight of that kite that I kept looking behind <laughs> And I ran right smack into the bumper of a 1967 Dodge Polara. That thing weighed about 4,000 pounds. It didn't move an inch. My bike stopped. I went right over those, those, those Stingray handlebars up onto the trunk of the car and like smashed my face against that big giant rear windshield of that Dodge Polara. Now that wouldn't have been so bad if it hadn't happened right in front of Mr. and Mrs. Bates' dining room window while they were eating dinner. And adding to the pain of my injuries was a humiliation of laughter as Mr. Bates was practically spitting his dinner across the table, <laughs> laughing through the open screen windows. I could hear him laughing at me. You cannot reach your goal by driving around looking over your shoulder. You've got to forget what's behind and press on. Paul says, I have all that resume, and he lists his resume a couple times. It's worthless. I'm, I forget it. I'm pressing on. So.
nearing the end of his life, perhaps, doesn't know what his judgment will be, but still, he presses on. I could imagine him reading the draft of this letter, you know, chained to a, to a Roman guard. The guard's like, please, Paul, don't read it again. I get it. The gospel, Jesus Christ, I get it, Paul. All right, I'll, I'll accept Christ. Just please don't read it again. But I could imagine, you know, he's, he's just, whatever opportunity he has, he's pressing on. He's not resting on anything that he's already achieved. That's one danger. I think another and perhaps maybe bigger danger is looking back over a shoulder at the failures. The failures that rob us of our joy, that rob us perhaps of our, we think of our qualification to be an ambassador of the gospel. So whatever your situation is here this morning, press on. If you keep looking over your shoulder, you're going to run into a 67 Dodge Polara, and it's going to be painful. But press on. Paul says there, and I think the heart of this in verse 10, is that I may know him. I may know him. And I thought a lot about what does it mean to know somebody? You know, I can know somebody by knowing their name and having conversation with them and getting to understand who they are. I, I know Pastor Shem. I've known him for a long time. I know that he's a worship leader. He plays guitar. He sings. He has a gift. And the more I know about him, the more about I know about what he does, the more I get to know about him. I could come visit. We could, we could spend time in the same house together, a, a husband and wife, certainly living their lives together. They, they get to know one another. The Apostle John wrote a gospel, one of the most profound books ever written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and mystically through the whole thing, really his point is, is to give seven illustrations, seven examples of who Christ is, that you may know Him. And if you're sitting here this morning and you want to know whether or not you know, perhaps maybe just to review those seven IMs as we close here this morning and, and let them resonate in your heart. Do you know Him? Are you striving to know Him? Did you know that He's the bread of life? John would tell us that. You know, I thought about that. Do I know Him? Do I know that He's the bread? He says that if you... If you come to me and, and, and you shall eat, you shall never hunger again. And he who believes in me will never thirst. From the time that I've known Christ spiritually, I've never longed for anything else. I've longed to know more of him, but I've never ever doubted that that's what I needed to press towards. That he nourishes my soul. Look at number three there. He says that I'm the door. He's in, verse, in John 10, verse 9, he says, Anyone that enters by me will be saved. And listen to this. This is beautiful. And will go in and out. <laughs> go in and out. Go out to find pasture. He allows me to go out and he leads me to places, tall grass. Psalm 23 says that he is a good shepherd. He makes me to lie down in tall grass. When Jesus sat the, the 5,000 down, he said, make them sit. John says that there was much grass there. Interesting, the shepherd. But I go out to find pasture, but you know what? It's a dangerous world out there and he's the door. I can come back in. And then he provides for me protection. Amazing. He's a good shepherd. 
I need a shepherd. I need somebody to keep me on track. I need somebody to take that staff and pull me out of danger. Sometimes I might need a little knock upside the head to point me back on the right path and get out of the briars where I shouldn't be. Or to pay attention and get out of danger. I love verse 7 though, or number 7 from John 15, 5. The seventh I am. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Do you know him this morning? Do you realize that without relationship with Christ, without me knowing him, that I have no relationship with any of you in this room this morning? I look out here and I look at some of the faces and I think of how enriched my life is because of many of you that I've gotten to know. And not one of those relationships exists without knowing Christ. We're all branches. He's the vine. The one thing that I longed for more than anything when I was lost was when I saw Christians, true Christians, spirit-filled Christians, I saw the community of Christ and how they engaged together. And I thought I was outside that. I was severed off of that and I wanted desperately to be part of it. The body of Christ. Do you know him this morning? So the worship team comes up and we'll close with a song. This morning, if you, if you are, are far from Christ, if you're, if you're struggling with resting and knowing him, make it a point to dive back into the gospel. To read, you know, when Moses went to that burning bush, and he had that conversation with God the Father. He said, who do I, they're going to want to know your name. What's your name? He said, I am. That I am. Tell them I am. That I am sent you. And that I am would become manifest. Jesus in the flesh. Born of a woman. Born of a virgin. And the great I am would become flesh. And he would live his life. Be recorded for us by the, the Apostle John. Seven I am's. Tell him I am. What do you need? What do you need this morning? Do you need bread? Do you need fellowship? Do you need a shepherd? Do you need a safe door to get behind to protect you from the enemy? Whatever you need this morning, he's the great I am. Let's worship him this morning. Would you stand?